1: another exciting episode of Fire and Water Records, the music show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Well, the other music show of the Fire and and Water Podcast Network. Uh, This time, it's not Ryan Daly here. This is Rob Kelly as your uh, co-host. And joining me to talk about the, uh, the music and the career of the piano man himself, Billy Joel, is a fellow fan. You know him. You love him. Tom Panneries. Hi, Tom.
2: Hey, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I'm so excited. You and I have been talking about doing this for the longest time, and every time I would go on Twitter and via my Pod Dylan feed, I would mention something about Billy Joel. You would always respond. You always had a a fellow retort, and I was like, oh, Tom must be another fan. So we've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad we're finally sitting down to do this.
2: I remember we had a back and forth on Twitter once where we managed to work every single song title from the bridge into some sort of weird (laughs) fun.
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, we're getting closer. That's right. We are. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> I feel like we're exactly. running on ice. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I okay, let, let's own up to this. Obviously, in whatever time Tom and I have here for this show, we cannot possibly cover all of the man's career, his 40-plus years career, no. the most successful uh, rock acts or or pop music acts in history, but we did want to do something because I, you know, look. Everyone knows my love of Bob Dylan is is rich and is is deep. You could drizzle it on pancakes, and I do a whole show devoted to him. But I will say, Billy Joel. I've always loved Billy Joel. He was one of the. He was really the first artist that I hooked into as a child. Maybe not a child, but as a teenager, where he's, I really started paying attention and like, oh, I like this guy, and I would buy his albums and. And while other things have come and, and taken, uh, you know, f- the forefront in my mind, I've never not liked Billy Joel. I've never not had some of my favorite songs of his in my uh, my iPod or on cassettes or in CD. I've always loved him. And he gets a bit of a bad rap, I think, by certain people because he seems like it's maybe a little cheesy, a little obvious. But I don't know. I, I don't know, Tom. I, I love him. I assume you feel the same way?
2: Oh, yeah, I do, too. Um, yeah, and these certain people being, like, pretentious rock critics like your (laughs) pitchfork vulture um oh there was that
1: article right a couple of years ago but some guy that just like went out of his way to just crap on it and
2: oh um yeah and then i know i know chuck klosterman had like some weird it's it's in one of his books too about him and how like how uncool he is but he likes being uncool and billy joel himself was like What, like Mm. you know, but it's it's that sort of hipster douchiness that. But then again, that's not even a new thing because I'm sure if we if we uh, went back through the um, uh, archives at Spin magazine and dusted the cocaine off of half of the issues (laughs) in the filing cabinet, we'd we'd see some disparaging things about uh, Billy Joel. So you know, it's it's yeah, he is one of those acts that I think like you know anybody who wants to be pretentious or, or uppity. About rock and roll will like he's he is an easy target because it's a very um i don't know if pop, populist is the way to describe it but it's he's definitely like a rock pop act because he does have that wide appeal and you're i'm like you like i've I, I was kind of like a a native to that in 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 many ways like you know, he was one of the first artists him and i think michael jackson were like the two artists i recognized like by brand name so to speak mm-hmm. as young as like kindergarten first grade
1: wow that's uh, that's way back yeah and one of the things i one of the reasons i think that he got dinged a lot is because i think the man himself like let it be known that i think the criticism stung him like he he would respond to it in interviews Mm. or respond to it even in via song and i think once you let critics know that when they diss you that bothers you i mean it's like a bully. You know, you, you let the bully know that the, the bully is bothering you. He's just going to bully you some more. And I think Billy Joel, yeah. uh, to borrow a line from one of his own songs, wore his heart on his sleeve. In a lot of ways, and I think that mm-hmm. really made him kind of a target. Now, again, it's not part of it. I think is it because he was such a relentless hit machine, but that's not really accurate because Elton John was just as much of a hit machine, and the critics seemed to like Elton John for for a great many years. Or the you know the Beatles, for Pete's sakes. So I don't know if it's just the <laughs> fact that he was so massively popular, but it was just. I think there was a a feeling that he was sort of unsophisticated or simple. And and I, a I don't think that's terribly fair. And b even if it is, so what? You know, I mean, if do the do, do the, yeah. do, do the well, songs mean something to you? If they do, then they're good.
2: Yeah, and it may be also because um, if you if you want to get down to a lot, there's, there's definitely pieces of music that are derivative. But he's never hid the f- fact that at, like sometimes he is doing a riff on somebody else, or he has specific influences because he's. Um, he, he's, only, he, he's almost like in some ways a fan of rock and roll who became a rock and roll star, mm-hmm. you know, like, because, you know, I, I just vividly remember, um, his introduction, induction into the rock and roll hall of fame, which was in 1999 because he and Springsteen got inducted the same exact night. Wow. And there, and like, you know, yeah. So like, here I am in heaven watching this and he talked about how and his thing, like, so Ray Charles inducted him. And uh, and then like, you know, so he's in awe of Ray Charles giving him an introduction. I think he referred to him as like Mount Rushmore or something. Hmm. And then about how, like, you know, growing up where he grew up, you know, they talked about how you had to go out of your way to hear like black artists and things um, in, in the days where radio was playing like people like Frankie Avalon and things like that. So, like, you know, he's always had a good ear and a good sense of the history of the music that he's playing and everything. And to his credit, I remember that because they inducted Del Shannon the same night, and he and Bonnie Raitt did Runaway, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. But that's a tangent. Wow. (laughs) We only have so long. I have a memory for these things. But after a certain year in the 2000s, I remember nothing, so I don't know. Well, I think
1: anyone who listens to to Pop Faf knows you have a (laughs) a encyclopedic memory for certain very far corners of uh, pop culture arcana. So I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. (laughs) So, I mean, you, you talked about it a little bit in the <laughs> beginning. Like, how did you – like, where did you become a fan? Where did it st- – I mean, you talked about that You were very young. I remember right. – uh, for me, I, you know, certainly got into it when I was a teenager. And then part of it was that he was – a had a heavy presence not only on radio but on MTV. You know, just as it was starting up, he was one of the guys that first mm-hmm. put out a lot of videos. He was a video artist. He clearly – I mean, and he did videos before there were even places to play them. But he was making them, and then they would. Yeah. So, so that was a big component in 1981, 82. If you liked a musical artist, and then you could also see him on your television, that means you were getting him, him or her, twice as much, or sometimes even more than that, because you, you know, you didn't just have to get it off the radio or off a record; you could sit and watch it on your television.
2: Yeah, and to be to his credit, um, so Nylon Curtain was 82, and that was, um, you know, you've seen the videos for like Allentown and right, Pressure, which right. are they're part actually performance videos, you know, but at the same time, they are, like, not performance videos in the way that, like, it's just basically, like, live concert footage with the music either dubbed over it or whatever, which right. are a couple of very, very old videos from the 70s. But they are, like, him performing, but there's a a story to it, or, or there's a concept to it, or there's, like, you know, it's an actual music video, you know, um, going beyond even, like, say, Bohemian Rhapsody, which was, like, what, 75? So, like, you watch those, and you watch, like, Everything from an innocent man. And it's truly uh, like what was a, you know, like it's it's right up there with like what Huey Lewis and the news were doing at the same time. Those sorts of like, you know, we're seeing reforming, but there's something going on here. And it's all sorts of crazy because we're just throwing these concepts to the wall and we're seeing what sticks and MTV doesn't have that many videos. <laughs> so they're going to play us like 20 times a day. <laughs>
1: Oh right! I mean, I I have the the tell her about it video committed to memory because it's got that intro <laughs> of the Ed Sullivan guy, and you've got the outro with Rodney Dangerfield. You know, thanks for warming them up for me. You know, like I remember all of that. Yeah. Like it's like the back of my hand. So yeah, it was. He was. I mean, we 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 talked about this a little bit off air, but like yes, yeah, some of the videos are pretty. The one for pressure is pretty cheesy. Uh, the one oh, for yeah. Al, the one for Allentown, though, I think is quite nice. And to see he. You know he he mm-hmm. brought a lot to it, and he starred in a lot of them too. I mean that was big. He yeah. didn't just he didn't just drop the music in. I mean he was actually the star of these things. And he's not necessarily like the most camera ready performer in the world uh, in terms of being an actor. He, but but he was but he yeah, had a certain yeah. certain presence though.
2: Well, I think his appeal. Okay, so like my origin story with Billy Joel comes from the fact that, and I'm a few years younger than you. Um, I was born in 1977. Okay, right. So um, I I'm almost literally a month. My birthday is June 23rd. So I'm almost literally a month younger than Star Wars. But <laughs> but uh, but so not only was born in 77. So by the time I was, like I said, first, kindergarten, first grade, that was like 82, 83, 82, 83. When an innocent man came out. So um, I first heard him via an innocent man because my parents had that album. But there was no way I was going to be able to avoid Billy Joel considering I was born and raised on Long Island. <laughs> right. And the only poet more famous to come from Long Island than Billy Joel is Walt Whitman, who <laughs> who who has – who is the recipient of both New Jersey and Long Island's highest honors because New Jersey is named a rest stop after him on the turnpike and Long Island is named a mall after him. So that's Walt Whitman. But Billy Joel, I mean, you know, it's – you know i mean you can't like i mean there he's he's you think of pop stars who come from from long island especially from that era, you have billy joel and then and um i'd say like under that there's pat benatar war brannigan d snyder like you know there's a list but like billy joel's like clearly at the top and um so they had an innocent man on cassette and they used to listen to it and you couldn't escape that album when it was on the air that back was in the huge early 80s yeah, huge, huge and um and then in '86, he releases Greatest Hits Volume One and Two, um, which my parents had on cassette as well. So basically, like those were in kind of rotation um, until I got my first. My first Billy Joel album was Turnstiles, which I can't remember why my parents got me that. It was, I think, it was like my 13th birthday or something. But I wore that tape out. I like mm-hmm. listened to it all the way through and all the way through and all the way through and all the way through. And then the first CD I ever got out of his was the stranger. Cause it was one of the Columbia house, 12, <laughs> that, you know, 12 CDs for 13 CDs for a penny or whatever, a dollar <laughs> or whatever it was. So, you know, it was, and that was 92, 93. So it was like, you know, Alice in Chains and the and, um, you know, stone temple pilots and, uh, Billy Joel. <laughs> so, um, and, and uh, basically, I, I actually have all of the studio albums, um, except for the Greatest Hits 1 and 2, because I never bought that. It was a double CD, and I had all the songs off of it except for the two
1: the new ones. New yeah.
2: ones but I, I can download those from iTunes now. Um, I not, have Not for hits, long. <laughs> not for long. God. Um, I have Greatest Hits 3 because I got it for free <laughs> from somebody I was working with it was like here we have an extra copy of this, um, but no, I have all the studio albums and I have two of the live albums. I have "Songs in the Attic" and I have the Russian tour right. live albums. So, um, but yes, yeah, so I basically got him. And then the cool thing was is that like you know I, I went, so I went to high school and. and uh, Ended up being around a lot of people who would judge you for your taste in music for whatever stupid reason, and being that you know being my being my insecure self, I used to take that to heart. It's why I own every Metallica album, starting with Kill 'Em All and going up to Load, but um, <laughs> and barely listen to them anymore. But um, Billy Joel was kind of the exception to the rule. Like you know, guy like jocks in my high school would go see him in concert at Nassau College. I'll assume. And they would come in the next day with the Billy Joel tour tour t-shirt. And uh, so there's this mass appeal. There's sort of this, like, he's just another guy from the suburbs who made it type mm-hmm. of appeal to him, too. Like, mm-hmm. you could totally see this guy living down your street. Yes. yes. And because and, he pretty much was, you know, he didn't grow. He grew up. He grew up in, like. Uh, Massapequa or something, you know, like or, or in that area, like in the, in the original recipe, like Burbs, you know, he, he, um, wherever he was, was those Levitt homes of, you know, and born in, in 49, so he's a couple of years younger than my parents. but So he's very much of and of that kind of origin. So I think that's one of the biggest appeals. And then um, he's the entire reason I learned to play the piano. Oh wow! Um, oh, you know
1: how to play and, the piano. Uh, how, That's yeah. Fantastic. I have.
2: Uh, well, I, I'm very out of practice, um, but I did have, and I still have them because my parents gave the piano away years ago. But they they asked me what music I wanted to keep, and I have a, a smattering of books. But I have both the Billy Joel Complete Volumes One and Two, which covers everything from Piano Man all the way up to uh, um, I think Front. I don't know if River Dreams is in there.
1: Okay, wow. Before we get off this, though, you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned Walt Whitman. Uh, it's a small world because <laughs> the Walt Whitman rest stop was where the Roy Rogers was located that I worked <laughs> at as a teenager, which you just mentioned on your most recent episode of Pop Faff with the Roy Rogers restaurant. So <laughs> time is prob- a, time's a I- flat circle.
2: That's funny. I used to stop there every once in a while to get gas. It's it's right near the Cherry Hill Water Tower, right? Yes, it's right there. Yes,
1: okay.
2: <laughs> it's right there. Because <laughs> it's, it's there's certain landmarks in the turnpike going up and down there between like Baltimore, D.C. and Virginia and, and Long Island, I remember. For a while, there were a couple of abandoned houses that I could spot, but like they've been torn down for housing developments. But yeah, the Cherry Hill Water Tower, the split with um, – the Pennsylvania turnpike and everything. And then like, you know, then when you get toward like Elizabeth, yeah, and, like, you know, that, that realm where it just becomes industrial wasteland and stuff. So now I'm, now I'm that's I really, pretty funny. I'm
1: really picturing some sort of, like, Star Wars-esque prequel where you and I meet each other when we were younger. And, like, <laughs> somehow, like, we mentioned, like, fire and water or something, you know, some sort of really <laughs> ham-handed thing that will tip it, you know. You better be careful, Greedo. That thing's going to be the death of you, you know, that kind of, like, horrible thing. Oh, my God. It's just amazing to think about. So, yeah, I mean, um, have you ever seen Billy Joel live?
2: Yeah, only once, um, and uh, it was January. I had to look this up because I knew I knew around the around the time when it was, but I looked it up, and it was more than likely January of two thousand two, because oh, wow. he was with Elton John.
1: Right, right, right. Those and are. I
2: saw and saw him. Yeah, they're doing those tours and I they it was at what is now the Verizon Center in Washington DC. It was then known as the MCI Center where the uh, where the Caps and the Wizards play. Um so uh yeah, it was an amazing show because uh, Elton John was I don't remember what album was out at that point that they had just playing him in a music video. Um and I remember he played two or three songs off of that album and I think that's when my wife and I both have got up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but um so so they did some songs together of each other's things And then Elton did his set and Billy did his set And he, he dug pretty deep He played um, Angry Young Man He played Miami 2017 um, he, he, uh, he played a lot of the, you know, the hits and everything Him and Elton duetted on Piano Man hmm. um, The highlight for me from Elton Was the fact that he played all 11 minutes Of Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding From the beginning of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road um, which is one of my favorite Elton John tracks, but, um, but yeah, it was a really, really cool show. So that was, yeah, that was about, it was 20 years ago. Um, my, my parents and my sister have seen him a couple of times since then, cause he basically sells out the garden, um, for like, he has a residency at Madison square garden. Right, and he right, he right. constantly sells it out. And, and so again, like, you know, he has produced a new song in years, and he's just like, you know what, I'm just going to get up there, I'm going to play the hits, I'm going to bring some people on stage who, you know, every once in a while are famous. And uh, then, yeah, so.
1: I remember, yeah, he has not released a new record of of music since River of Dreams in 1993, mm-hmm. I believe. I, For- I, 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 I remember he appeared on um, David Letterman one time, uh, promoting his uh, classical mm-hmm. record, his classical album. And then... <laughs> And Letterman, Letterman had the priceless reaction. He goes, "So you've got enough money," which I just thought that was just perfect. Like, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, don't, and, I, don't,
2: like, I and could and just do this. And that's that's Letterman's exact delivery.
1: Yeah. <laughs> of, was, of,
2: so you had, so you've got enough money. You know, yeah. This, yeah, yeah. I
1: was just like, okay, um, yeah. I saw Billy Joel actually. Many many times in the 80s and maybe even to the 90s, but most of the 80s when I was a teenager, I had a I had a good friend named Paul in high school who uh, was a is a, a mega Beatles fan, mega McCartney fan specifically. But he liked mm-hmm. Billy Joel because he also played the piano. He's a he's actually a musician now. And uh, so we would go together, and we would go with other friends. And so I saw Billy. I I never kept track of it, but I I had to have seen Billy Joel at least five, six, seven times. And you know, I mean, it, it's. I have a greater appreciation for live music differently through all the Dylan shows I've seen because now I'm kind mm-hmm. of like more into the obscure stuff because I already you know I don't need to hear Mister Tambourine Man I want to hear but but yeah. in, but when I'm 14 I want to hear Billy Joel sing Allentown I want to hear Billy Joel sing Piano Man and he does he did I mean he yeah. would he would occasionally dig deep but for the most part he kind of played songs that you knew kind of in the way that you knew them and i like that at that age that was what i wanted i mean it was it was just exciting to be able to see him so i I would probably actually go again if i ever had the opportunity because it'd just be nice to have that experience again and it is interesting that he just is this that his his popularity is so enduring across multiple generations that he cannot release a record in a quarter century and still sell out concert halls Mm -hmm. that's that's pretty amazing
2: yeah, I have um one live concert DVD of his. Uh I, I still haven't watched it. I've had it for years. It's just one of those things that got filed away and I gotta get to it. But I have the <laughs> it's the it's the his concert at Shea Stadium, the last play at Shea. Oh right. Because the Mets or the they were, you essentially owned Shea Stadium when they were finally gonna tear it down back in like oh eight, oh nine, um invited him to basically close the place out. And, um, so one day I'm going to sit down and maybe when I'm on the treadmill, throw it in and just watch it because apparently like, it's a really, really good DVD. But I mean, like, again, that's oh eight that's 15 years after river of dreams, you know, I mean, wow. that's, you're right. It's, um, so it's just, you know, it's incredible. And, you know, they, they turn, they churn out like greatest hits collections and essential volumes yeah, and, and yeah. those sorts of things all the time. And Sony doesn't miss sometime. a
1: trick on that stuff.
2: Yeah, he even he's even said that like the record company kind of like does that and you know, they even released like a B-side box set which is or or like an un, uh it was called like My Lives. I have it upstairs. Um some of it's really really good, some of it's obviously like outtakes and stuff um which he was not like totally in creative control yet of like Sony was just kind of like well, we're we're going to do this. So <sighs>
3: um
2: yeah, or I at least read an interview with him about that. He was kind of like not entirely I'm um, happy about the way it turned out but um but still it's it's some of the stuff's worth listening to on kind of like that Beatles anthology level where like it's just alternate takes of some of the songs and stuff and then a few of the B-sides that were never uh, were never released I'd be interested in that
1: I I would like to hear that, actually. Uh, So, yeah, one of the things that that uh, Tom and I decided to do is like we can't possibly cover all the songs or even really do justice to mentioning them all. So we just decided to limit ourselves. To five songs that we wanted to talk about, and then we have a couple honorable mentions, but we mm-hmm. limited it down to just five, and we 're going to kind of go through those, and that those indi- at least for on my end of it are like those are the ones I listen to the most they 're the ones that to me are like the diggest that get deepest under my skin, and they aren 't necessarily. Um, the hits that you would know The one of them kind of is uh, But I mean these are the ones that I find listen to a lot So we're going to kind of We're going to go through this list very briefly And kind of talk about what we like about them So you're, you're, you're our guest Tom So why don't you start off with your first selection
2: Yeah, And I will say that um, Just to peel back the curtain a little bit I had you the share your curtain. five The nylon curtain, yes <laughs> I had you share your five with me So that um, if there was any Right, Overlap, um, right. overlap I could switch something out because in my mind, like we could have very well had five of the same songs and then I would have just picked five more because yep. again, there's, you know, um, there's like 20 years worth of albums to choose from. I listed mine in chronological order. So, um, so instead of like from like five to one, cause I was just like, I don't know how to rank these. So I'm just going to, cheap out and, and just do them chronologically. So my first one is we're going to talk about um, a hit. We're going to talk about his signature song. And for, you know, as, as obvious as it is, Piano Man is one of my <laughs> top five favorite Billy Joel songs.
1: It's so. right. It's an amazing song. And I love that the sort of, I don't know how much of it is real, like the apocryphal story behind it, because I don't know if a lot of people know that Billy Joel, before he became Billy Joel, was in a lot of bands, and they were they were these prog rock, you know, awful. He was in a band called Attila, and it was I, like all these guys that dressed in furs and like Viking hats. And I mean, yeah. you're, and it's clearly so, um, just a guy desperately trying to make it in the music biz, but but totally not being himself.
2: So I'm sitting here in my basement, and in my hand right now, on vinyl. I have an album, two albums. One I got off of eBay, which has never been opened, and I never took it out of the shrink wrap. I have no idea if it's a first printing or not. It's called his one of his first bands from the late sixties called The Hassles. <laughs> and and I got that for maybe five bucks back in like the early two thousands. And another thing I got on a real cheap it's it's a reissue of the Attila album. Oh, wow. But I have the Attila album and I bought it just because I had seen it on um Like his behind the music episode or something like way back. I'm like, I have to own that album, even though I'm like, I have no interest in listening to this. It is like total prog rock crap. But I I was like, you know what? It was like literally was like five dollars or something on eBay back in like the early 2000s. I was like, you know, mine. So, yes, I have two pre solo career ones. Um, Yeah, the story goes, though, that he so his first album is called Cold Spring Harbor. Right, right. And a lot of the songs on it aren't terrible, but um, the way it was mastered when they released it, they screwed up and they released it at like a higher speed than it was recorded. Um, I've never heard it in that speed, but it's, but from apparently he used to say he sounded like Alvin and the chipmunks. And (laughs) so, so the album comes out, it, it bombs. And unfortunately he has this management deal that is just one of those terrible, terrible deals. Like the guy who was his manager owned, the like perpetual rights to his music for like a certain amount of time or whatever. It was one of those things where like, you know, I'm young, I'm hungry. I'm desperate. This guy says, he's going to help me out. And I sign this bad deal. You know, it's, it's a very typical music rock story. Um, and so the story is that he kind of fled to Los Angeles to try to kind of wait the deal out as best he could. Um, and it actually wasn't until maybe the early to mid eighties where, uh, who was his name? Uh, Walter Yetnikoff, the head of Columbia Records, approached the guy who was his manager and was like, look, I'm buying him out of his contract. He basically had to threaten him to do it, but he did. So he was playing like in these dive bars and lounges out in, the, in California, and I think that's where this song comes from.
1: Right. I mean it's, it's – again, we'll never know to, to how much uh, of the, these people that he sings about, Davy who's still in the Navy yeah. and the bartender who thinks he could be an actor and uh, the waitress is practicing politics. And, whether these people are real or not, but they feel real. I and mean, it feels authentic yeah. and it's, it's kind of an amazing story that this is a guy that kind of had some modicum of success and then sort of had to give it all up or gave it all up to go sing in these dive bars and of course, emerges with his signature song. It's, it's it's an amazing story, and and it'll make a great. Uh, fee- it'll make make a, a bunch of great scenes in the upcoming Billy Joel biopic, Piano Man, of course.
2: <laughs> well, and, and what it is is it's like this is the you know having having spent my um, the summers during my college years and a little bit of my twenties on various like small bars on the south shore of Long Island. This is the it's getting close to closing. Somebody's thrown in. Throwing this into the jukebox. And half the bar starts singing it because we're half of us are like in no condition to drive ourselves home. And yet it's a sad as hell song too, because mm-hmm. none of the people in the bar save for him have any chance of going anywhere. He's just describing these sad sacks. And the last verse is a little uplifting because he's like, you know, Hey, they're all here for you and listening. And they're like, man, what are you doing here? Like, you know, but at the same time, it's kind of sad as well because it's like, you know, he's among these people. Um, and yet at the same time, it's just, it's, it's got this really gorgeous melody to it. Um, and, and it's, it's rare when somebody can, can play with, with that sort of like sing along bar song melody and have yet these very kind of sad lyrics to them. You, with a lot of pop music, it's, it's not that there's not that much nuance to it, and, and he he pulls it off really really well
1: and it's a long song too i mean mm-hmm. it 's like over five minutes, which is i mean not mm-hmm. not uh not genre busting but still pretty unusual for a hit song yeah uh, to be and it has that it has that epic sweep to it and i don 't mean to i don't mean to to praise Billy Joel in comparing him to something else but like it's, it's Billy Joel's version of a Bruce Springsteen song, kind of, which is this massive story about these very specific characters. And it, it's personal and small, but it feels huge. The, 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 the sound is huge, the, the feeling is huge. And yet it's actually a relatively small story that he's telling. It's just him in this bar, and there's a lot they put bread in my jar. I mean, it's, it's got all these fine little details, but yet it feels like an epic. And it just, yeah. it, it's, it, to me, it never gets old.
2: No, you're right. You're right. And whereas Springsteen is fit more to the like pounding stadium, you know, like, you know, just the, the the go big with Springsteen. If you think of like Born to Run, which is his, you know, shot at the title, so to speak. right? Right. Right. It's that is that is this epic song of, you know, these people who are like they've had it with where they are. And like, you know, I mean, he he's not subtle in that song. It's an anthem of like, you know, getting the hell out of this this trap and and whatever um and uh although springsteen has done those songs with that like where there's like a total underlying irony and people don't get it i think born in the usa is the one i think of yeah but yeah. but with billy with piano man yeah and it's and it's and it's um you know, that, that rolling melody and the accordion comes in and it's it just it when he describes the piano sounds like a carnival and a microphone, the microphone smells like a beer. You, you, you are there in that song. You can smell the cigarette smoke. You can, you can hear the crowd. You can, and, and the fact that they're like paying attention to him is like the biggest thing for him because he's that guy, the performer in the bar that like on most nights people are, maybe half paying attention to. Right. right so it's just it's it is a really nice moment in there, but yeah it's it's just it's such a it's such a great piece, and to be a signature song, I think that's a really it's a great one to have
1: yeah, it put him on the map it fl- and foot mm-hmm. and he gave him a name, the piano man i mean that's really the the, the term that he's referred to in, in sort of a shorthand. So it really was the the arrival of, of this major artist. So so for my first pick, I'm going to go kind of as far away from that as, as possible, unintentionally. Is my first pick is Vienna, uh, the song from The Stranger, which was his really first big, massive album. The Stranger, mm-hmm. he had turnstiles, as you mentioned, in Street Life Serenade. And uh, the piano man and, and Cold Spring Harbor, as you mentioned, but the stranger was the one where it just boom, and it sold millions and millions of copies. And you just yeah. you talked about how it was one of the first CDs that uh, Columbia Records ever put out because that's how mm-hmm. big of a, of an album it was. And Vienna is not a hit from this record. He had a lot of hits off that record. This is not one of them. But it's this wonderful, beautiful little song, and it's just about a guy. It, it I think, what I love so much about it is it's about it's about Getting off your own back, you know, like getting out of your own way and not being so hard on yourself. And I don't know about you, Tom, but I've spent my entire life being really hard on myself. Yeah, me and, too. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and there's something about just the the simple piano of just this guy singing. He starts off with saying, slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. But tell me, if you're so smart, why are you still so afraid? Where's the fire? What's the hurry about? You better cool it off before you burn it out. You've got so much to do and only so many hours in a day. And when I – I really fell in love with this song in my 20s. And I was really worried about where my career, such as it was, was, was going and was I ever going to get anywhere. And there it goes on about, you know, just, again, just get, slow down. You're doing fine. You can't be everything you want to be before your time. And I thought, well, eventually someday I'll get to this point. I'll get to this sort of imagined Vienna And then things will be better. Well, I'm a lot older now. And I, in some ways, am as just far away from Vienna as I was then in a different way. But the song reads to me differently now. It's not so much about a guy saying you'll eventually get there. It's kind of being okay with never getting there in a certain way. And just just being present in the moment and enjoying where you are at the moment. And this, I never tire of the song. I just think it's really... A beautiful little tune, and I love it. It's so simple, and especially in contrast to the, a lot of the other kind of bigger rock songs on mm-hmm. The Stranger. This is just this right little tune. And f- strangely enough, I remember it was used in an episode of Taxi. There hmm. was um, there was a – I don't know if it was just one episode or it was a run of episodes where the, the, the taxi the, – the, the, the company got shut down. Mm-hmm. And everybody had to go get jobs, other jobs. And then we follow them through their different jobs and at one point i they used the song vienna as it as in the background and i was like wow I, they actually paid for the billy Joel song in vienna and it's just i don't know i i i think it's it's a i think it's a wonderfully wise little song about don't worry about where you're going just Enjoy where you are at the moment, and I, I think that's a good lesson for anyone, and I'm, i am it's something that means a lot to me now. I, it's one of my all-time favorite tunes he's ever done. I love it. I don't know – I don't think I've ever seen him do it in concert, but I can't say I remember. It was a long time ago. But it's just – I could see it would not be something he would do in concert because it's so small, but I absolutely love it
2: yeah and and it's its placement on the stranger is really key because it it's if if you have the record um it's actually one of the few records i have um is uh it's on it's track it's song one on side two right um if you have the c d it's track five and it's sandwiched between scenes from an Italian restaurant and only the good die young um but if you're starting out and i don't know how i don't know if the placement of the songs in the album was of any concern on the level of, of it is if you're doing other artists like the beatles or something but if you, you start the stranger starts with moving out and 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 the the flip side starts with vienna and it's a really nice contrast mm. to moving out cuz moving out's like you know you know, good luck moving out because moving up because I'm moving out, like I'm getting out of here. It's literally has a motorcycle peeling away. <laughs> um, it it is his Thunder Road. It's like, in fact, I think I made the comparison when I when I talked to Bob Fisher a few years ago about this album. But yeah, this it's this it's and it's so simple too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the sheet music and it's just like the intro is just this this quiet piano, and there really isn't much other than the piano in it. Right, whereas yeah. other other songs are like you know. Um, on that album are like, you know, you can hear the drums really heavy. Right. Liberty DeVito smashing away. Yeah. 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 And, and there's other instrumentation in here. And it's just this kind of like take, it literally is, you are literally taking a breather in the middle of the album, but it's also about like, you know, yeah, just, just, I mean, slowing down and, and really just taking, taking stock. Um, and yeah, it, it, I liked it when I was a teenager, But you're right, it didn't really speak to me until I was a little older. Right. And I had some more perspective in life, which is, which is, um, which is good. It's a testament to the music and the song, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that to me, that's what makes it, you know, there's lots of music I listen to in my 20s or my teenage years that I don't listen to anymore. But this I love that song in my 20s and I love it in my 40s. And that, to me. That's a the hallmark of a great song is that it travels with you and maybe maybe you love it for the same reasons or maybe you love it for different reasons. But it, it's, it still speaks to you that many years later. So, yeah, it's a, it's I just love that tune. So, uh, so what's your next pick?
2: Hey, but before I did that, punk spoke to me as a as a teenager, and now I I put it on playlists to run to because it's got the <laughs> same. Because every Green Day song has the same damn beat. <laughs> right, and I, yeah. right,
1: right, I mean, right. This,
2: this is what I This is what we say now. Um, st- off of Streetlight Serenader, it's uh, The Entertainer. Ah, oh, the angry, which has, angry uh, song. <laughs> it's it's which has a one of the best synth parts of uh, um, or organ. I don't even know if it's a synth. It's it's an organ. Um, and it's, so I'm listening to it the other night and it starts off with the guitar and then you get that, um, let me see if I can find it. You get that, uh, that, that synthesizer and then, um,
3: um,
2: and you get that synthesizer and then he gets into this, these lyrics, which is, it's all about like, um, being a being a musician it's like basically him being pissed off at like how his career has gone <laughs> and like and it's it's almost metatextual because he's got this this whole thing about how like you know um say I, I mean it's turner um and uh like oh, what's the, what's the line about like you know how um uh i come to do my show you've heard my latest record it's been on the radio it took me years to write it they were the best years of my life it was if you're gonna have a hit Uh, There was a beautiful song It ran too long If you're gonna have a hit You gotta make it fit So they cut it down to 305 And I'm like (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. He's just and, and what's cool about it is that as you go through each verse, because it's the same verse over and over and over, there's no bridge to the song either. And um so he's basically singing the same thing over and over, and he's just getting annoyed and annoyed and annoyed. He's just talking about the music industry. But like you hear the layering of the instrumentation come in, and there's like a country, like a little bit of a country twang at some point, and it's just so it's almost like it gets bigger to the end where um where he's like, you know, I am entertain, the entertainer and I know where he repeats the first, he repeats the first verse as the last verse, but it's almost like bigger, you know, like the, the way he sings it, the way it's played. Um, so, yeah, and it's just, it's a takedown of, um, it, it, obviously, like the, the industry or critics or the idea of... Um, There's a poem that I use in AP Lit called "For the Young Who Want to," and it's this. The poet is talking about writing, and it's like talent is what they say you have when the first book gets published. You know, it's that's what this. That's what this. That reminds me of like you know this this idea that like you know the idea that you aren't legitimate as a creative person unless you do something that makes you money, and he's just kind of going after like all the shit he's been through, and I I love it. Um, and he's and and of course he has that line in the third. the third verse, I've been all around the world, I've played all kind of palaces and laid all kind of girls. (laughs) I mean, after a while, it just becomes the same, like, you know...
1: He's only two years into his career at this mm-hmm. point, really, and he's already this ma- – I love his uh, the, the penultimate verse where he says, I am the entertainer, the idol the idol of mage. age. I make all kinds of money when I go on the stage. You see me in the papers. I've been in the magazines. But if I go cold, I won't get sold. I get put in the back in the discount rack like another can of beans. The That's- way he – Spits that line like another can of beat. He's so mad. And I have to think that other musicians, no matter what kind of music they did, whether they were heavy metal or pop or whatever, yeah. have been through this and probably heard this song and were like, yeah. You know, like yeah. yeah, Billy, you stick it to him. I have to think because he's just so mad at, at, at the yeah. record industry. It's kind of amazing.
2: Yeah, you get this and you get a couple of other songs from this era like um... – Seeger's Turn the Page, mm-hmm. which is like a road song. It's mm-hmm. just like I'm tired and then um <laughs> one of my favorite live song tracks ever. Is um, Jackson Brown's "The Loadout" and oh, followed yeah, by "Stay," yeah. Yeah. which is all about like you know and being on tour and everything, and just like it, it kind of it, it's in there because there's a little bit of there's a little bit of criticism of Jackson Brown's uh, lyrics, and I think Billy Joel's cut from at least seventies Billy Joel is cut from that singer songwriter mold of oh, sure. Jackson Brown and James Taylor and
1: yeah.
2: Carol King. Um, artists who I came to appreciate in my twenties and thirties as right. well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, like, that's that's a great.
2: It's, it's such yeah. a great tune. Like I, yeah, like I don't own. I don't listen to Metallica's Black album anymore, but I have both uh, Running on Empty and Tapestry on vinyl, and I will put those on. Yeah, so interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, th- this song. It's just like, um, and and you. You can't help but sing along to this, and you yeah. can't help but match his tone in this too. <laughs> You're just like, you know, because um, he's so. It, it's almost um, the only the only person with a piano in, in in recent years who I think could really do this song justice would probably be like Ben Folds.
3: Interesting,
2: Ben Folds. I think Ben Folds swiped a lot from, or was inspired a lot by. Uh, buy, buy some of Billy Joel's stuff This angry young man Some other stuff too Because I hear a lot of that In some of his early two thousand solo stuff
1: I can see that so, I can see that yeah yeah it's a great song uh my next pick is uh this was a hit my life this was one mm-hmm. of his biggest hits most people know it of course as the theme or i should say most people people our age know it as the theme from bosom buddies it was used as the, the bosom buddies theme yes uh and then of course when bosom buddies moved into syndication they stripped it they replaced it with some horrible muzak song and i'm like god damn it no it's the you know um but it, and and this is a song that billy joel himself has been i think dismissive of he he I saw an interview with him many, many years ago. Uh, By the way, I should mention this is off the album 52nd
2: 52nd Street, Street. which was another big, big hit. Oh, yeah. Talk about a great follow-up to The Stranger.
1: Yeah. uh, He talked about that he regards his songs as children, and he says you want to see them go out in the world and be successful, and he regards my life as a bum. (laughs) Uh, Where he's like, "Ah, get out of here, you bum. I guess he just doesn't like it anymore. Now, of course, again, this interview I saw was decades ago. So maybe he's changed his mind. But I've always loved the song because it is again, it is it's a young man song of defiance. And we just talked about the entertainer. But this is more of a general sense of people who are going off the beaten path. Uh it opens with got a call from an old friend we used to be real close said he couldn't go on the american way closed the shop sold the house bought a ticket to the west coast now he gives them the stand up routine in LA i don't need you to worry for me cuz i'm all right i don't want you to tell me it's time to come home i don't care what you say anymore this is my life go ahead with your own life leave me alone. I mean, it's a very teenage sentiment. And yet here's a guy in his late twenties, probably even yeah. maybe even early thirties at this point singing this. But I relate to that because I have done things in my life that are probably atypical of people, my own age. And there are people that I see every so often who lead, um, I don't want to say traditional lives. Cause that sounds like it's, it's a pejorative and I don't mean it to be, but there mm-hmm. are people, I have friends that are leading v- lives that are much more in the mainstream and I don't have a lot to say to them kind mm-hmm. of in a lot of ways cuz they're talking about their kids and their their whatever's and I'm just <laughs> kind of like okay you know I don't know um but nevertheless and so I I feel a certain amount of kinship to this song of just someone who is just kind of going their own way and maybe it won't work or maybe it will but it's 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 your restless hungry spirit kind of like this is just what this guy has to do no matter what and i i I still really love the song
2: yeah this is um this is one of two songs that i um the other one being pressure that when i first heard it on the greatest hits volume one and two album and didn't realize that on that album um they had cut the song for time they cut out um kind of the bridge the solo Hmm. in my life and they cut out an entire verse from pressure they cut out my favorite verse which is um which ends with here and here you because because it's a baseball reference um and here you are on the ninth two men out and three men on nowhere oh, to right, look it's side. Right, yeah right. so they cut that out, at least on the cassette i don't know about the cd version because i never owned the cd version so when i bought 52nd street on cd and i'm listening to my life and it kept going and i'm like oh this is so much better than i remember because mm-hmm. i never had anything against the song but it was one of the ones that i like you know i like this but then you know you may be right, coming up or something like mm-hmm. that, or don't ask me why is coming up or something. So, um, but yeah, I really, it's, you know, we're describing this and I'm like, eh, did Douglas Copeland write this? You know, it's like <laughs> such a gen X thing too. like, you know, and I love the line. Um, they can tell you, you can't sleep alone in a strange place. And then they'll tell you, you can't sleep with somebody else. But sooner or later you sleep in your own space and either way, it's okay. You wake up with yourself. Like it's such a great line because yeah. it's just like, yeah. <laughs> It's gonna suck. Yeah, it's. But it, you'll, but you'll be okay.
1: Yeah, and great. It, and it, right, there are a lot of Billy Joel songs are all about thwarting what they, whoever the they are, mm. telling you what to do, and that's again, yeah. that's 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 a lot of his persona. But I, I just, and, and I also just love the tune. I think it's a very, it's a it's a very beautiful pop tune. Mm. Uh, I mean, you you mentioned early on with moving out, with the thing with the the motorcycle revving up, yeah. like. Billy Joel loves the Beatles. I mean, he mm-hmm. makes no bones about that. He is, loves the Beatles, especially McCartney. And I think a lot of McCartney's um, production is influence is influencing Billy Joel with these, you know, sound effects and yeah. you know, Sergeant Pepper and throwing. It, and of course, a lot of the stuff was in Wings. McCartney loved throwing in little bits of business. A, you know, to, to, to decorate the songs and Billy Joel does that. So he said, you mentioned moving out. And so this song is just a beautiful pop tune. And maybe that's why, again, he doesn't get as much credit because it almost sounds like it's trying to please too much. It's such a, it's such a, it's such a, like a comforting pop song, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. I love every time I hear
2: it, I sing along to it. So the
1: hell, the hell with the rest. Yeah. I
2: love this. Song. Yeah. It's the same, but it's it's got that same sort of, like you know, this is what seventy nine I think when this mm-hmm, comes out. Mm-hmm. So we're in the middle of or to the end of like you know, where we're, punk was kind of bubbling up from the underground. So you have the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Ramones and and all the other acts that came with it, who really are these sort of, and then we get through the eighties and have a lot of, you know, we'd have. For a better or worse, Twisted Sister and, and some of the other, other bands like that. But a lot of them were like, you know, here's the middle finger toward anything authoritative. And this is kind of doing that, but it's doing it in a way that like everybody can relate to as opposed to just like, you know, middle class suburban kids who really shouldn't be angry at anything. But they have to <laughs> because they're teenagers, the rebels <laughs> without a cause, you know, like going all the you know rebel without a cause to mention a to mention a classic trope of that. But yet here it's like it's. It's disdain for that authority, but also like the kind of acknowledgement of like you know the real almost like the ennui that sets in when you're in your 20s and you're just kind of like, you know what, yeah, just let me do my thing, and and so it's less of a middle finger and more of just like a frustration, and, mm-hmm. and and I I like that about it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I have to give some credit to Phil Ramone, who yeah, was
1: he's a longtime producer. He's His
2: yeah. longtime producer, starting I think with The Stranger, because because um, Phil Ramone produced other. Acts. I believe he produced The Carpenters, and I want to say some of Paul Simon's yeah, I believe so, solo yeah. work. I want to say – I have Still Crazy after all these years. I'm pretty sure he produced that. And there are some Phil Ramone's signature things, especially in songs like Just The Way You Are. But you could almost tell that Phil like listened to what Billy liked and kind of reined in – Whenever he would want to go out like too far out in one direction, because he knew how to produce a pop hit, but at the same time, let him keep his own voice. And that's like a good mark of a really, really good producer. And I don't think Phil Ramone gets enough credit Um, in the annals of producer. I know he's not George Martin, you know, or Rick Rubin or... Jimmy Iovine and I think I've run out of producers that I know.
1: Well, but but there's something to be said for a producer that doesn't try and take over the proceedings. Yeah. That kind of sits back and says, okay, what's, what, what is this artist trying to get to and it's my job to get them there. I'm not, mm-hmm. but I'm not the one directing it. You know, I'm not the director here. I'm the producer. This yeah. the the title, the producer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I think there's something to be said for somebody who just is like, look, this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm just trying to help him getting there the best way. It seems like you know, the best way to do it. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, Phil Ramone does deserve credit because he produced so many of Billy Joel's records.
2: Yeah. Sir, so I think we're up to my next yep, one. you're right? next, right? Okay. So, and I'm trying to find it because I got, I got, I busted out my keyboard for this because I want to try to see if I can pull it off. Um, it is easily one of the longest songs in his catalog, and it is the most, one of the most, two of the most difficult ones that I ever had a prop, the ability, inability to play. Which was is Prelude slash Angry Young Man off of Turnstiles. <laughs> and the reason for that is that... And it's it's probably the most prog rock out of all of them. If you, if you think prog rock is these long, long pieces with a lot of um, instrumental things before you get to the lyrics. I'm thinking of, like, you know, ELO and Yes in the 70s and things like that. Even though it doesn't get, like, that crazy or anything. You know, because he still keeps it piano-centered. Um, but it's got this intro where you're hitting... Where it's sixteenth um, notes, and it's all middle C, and then like so, he'll do four middle C's of a sixteenth, and then he he does a chord of a of a of a. Um, it's an E and a G, and then an F and an A. So so you've got the middle C, and then you have. This is my shitty Yamaha keyboard from the nineties. So, <laughs> so and and then. So that's, that's, he repeats it, but you have to do it. And and, and it's hard to do because you have to go and I'm kidding yeah, with yeah. you, but you have to go like this and I can't, I can't do it. It's like, it's, I could never do it on the piano. I could never do it on the keyboard because I could get the C note going that, that fast, but I could never get, I could, I never had the agility to snap my finger, my hands over to the, um, to the thing, but then you get this, um, but then it slows down and, and, and it, and it's, it's got this sort of rolling, like striking thing. And we get into angry young man where he actually, um, gets off the piano for the verses and then gets in and then he comes back when, after he says, you know, the, the words angry young man. And then, but the song itself is this sort of like Calling, I think I've cursed enough on the show. So basically, calling bullshit on rebellion. He's like, you know, he's just it, it, the the bridge of the song, which then has a synth solo. It was like, I've passed the age of consciousness and righteous rage, and I found that just surviving is a noble fight. And um and this was '76 when this came out, and it's just like you know, he was he was there in the '60s, so it's this kind of like you know. Exhaustion after all of that, and he's he's 20, he's in his mid 20s at this point, I think. 76, he was born in 49, yeah, so he's about what, 27. I remember 27 being around the age where I really did get tired of other people's shit, you know, <laughs> and it was just kind of like you it was it's like you hit that uh, to quote how I met your mother. You had that Murtaugh moment, you know, like you're, I'm just getting too old for this shit. And, and it's just but it's this great it's this great piece, which is so angry and it's so like it's it's um, it's it's quick and it's rock and it's and, and and it sounds like it's called angry young man but he's talking about like my favorite line you know he's fair and he's true and he's boring as hell you know right, yeah. he's just kind of calling out these <laughs> half of twitter is this person he's describing you know, and, <laughs> and 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 i will and another song that's a wonderful companion to it is by against me it came out about 10 years ago it's called i was a teenage anarchist and it's a punk emo song, but it's basically the same thing. You know, like I all, I knew all the, the, the right slogans. And then at the end, they're like, the revolution was a lie. And the the chorus is, do you remember when you were young and you wanted to set the world on fire? And I pair this with that. And it's just like, it's, it's great. It's this, so you're, you're, it's, it's almost an exercise in irony because you expect it to be about rebellion. And you turn around and you're like, no, he's, he's calling it out, but he's not condemning it. He's not, an old man going, get off my lawn, you little punk. You don't know how bad it is. He's just like, I don't know if this was all worth it. And I'm just tired of it. And like, you know, we need this person in the world, but eventually you kind of, you move on. You You got to grow
1: out of it. Right. He'll go to to his grave as an angry old man. man. Yeah. He, when I remember he would play this in concert and of course Mm -hmm. that, that bit with the piano that just drove people nuts because it's just the sheer dexterity that he could prove with that that he could play that da, 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 and not screw up was just sort of like and, oof, good lord
2: And I saw him on uh, I think it was Jimmy Fallon a clip of him either on either Jimmy Fallon or Seth Meyers he was talking about you know whatever he was he was doing like celebrity impressions he has very stubby hands <laughs>
1: And right. I'm not, make it, no, make it, making it even harder
2: yeah right yeah and so he doesn't have very like long dexterous fingers um so like his classical album somebody else is playing the piano he just wrote the music because he even said like i don't have the you know, capacity to play it professionally so his ability like it you know, and it's a lot of it's in the wrist and i don't have that dexterity in my wrist because you have to you have to have very loose wrists to be able to fly around the keyboard and this is a uh, how he, Elton, and Jerry Lee Lewis could do this song, and I don't know of many other people who could really do this song. <laughs>
1: Well, that'd be interesting to hear Jerry Lewis, Lewis do, do it. it. Boy, I think it's still yeah. alive. I think he is. Think he is. Good lord. How old is he now? Yeah. He's still around. So yeah, Now, that's a it's a, it's, a, it's a and maybe again, Little Richard. Little, another guy still around. Another Pretty guy, amazing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great pick. Uh, so my next song is another kind of deep cut, Sleeping with the Television on. Oh, I love uh, the song. Which is from uh, the the side, side two of Glass Houses, which of course yeah. was his quote unquote rock album, because this is the one where mm-hmm. he really dropped the P piano for the most part and it's all guitar and he had like about a half a dozen hits off of this record i mean this thing was just a monster It came out in 1980, so again from the album glass houses but if, if 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 there is any one single billy joel song that i think distilled my personality in terms of when i was in my 20s where i went that's who i am that's who i am right there and I've never heard it put in a song before. It was this because this it opens up with says I've been, and it opens with um the sound of a television uh, signing off back, the in, night, the day, when back they in the day when they of used to the do that. Anthems. Right, yeah. You would hear that nowadays. Of course, that younger kids are like, "What? That's not a thing." Uh, but but never well, even what's television. But uh, <laughs> but back you know then you hear the TV go off and then you hear the beep and then the song starts and he says, "I've been watching you waltz all night, Diane. Nobody's found a way behind your defenses. They never noticed the zap gun in your hand until you're." Pointing it and studying their senses and it's all night long all night long you've been shooting them down because you're waiting for somebody good to come along and then he goes on and then the line that the the the, the 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 verse that really kills me is he says, your eyes are saying, talk to me, talk to me, but your attitude is, boy, don't waste my time. Your eyes are saying, talk to me, talk to me, but you won't hear a word because it just might be the same old line. This isn't really easy for me to say, Diane. I know you don't need anybody's protection. I really wish I was less of a thinking man and more a fool who's not afraid of rejection. And that, and then later on, um, he says, uh, your eyes are saying, talk to me, but you know, your attitude is, boy, don't waste my time. Your eyes are saying, talk to me, but I won't say a word because it just might be somebody else's same old line. That, that it me, that yeah. verse, because that to me is like, I have lived my life so afraid of being like other lamos that I have stopped myself from doing things. And I, that line is so amazing that this is, this is a guy that wants to go talk to this girl. He wants to go talk to Diane. I love that he names her. It's so specific, Diane. But he he is so afraid of sounding like every other loser that hits this girl up that he won't even talk to her, even though he knows he's different. That, like, a guy getting in his own way, and he's going to go home sleeping with the television on all by himself. That is, I'm like, I've never heard that kind of person in a song before. And so that is why I love that song. It's just, to me, it's just amazingly specific. I just love it.
2: Yeah, I love that too, and and she she seems like she's a variation of the woman he sings about, and she's always a woman mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. sort of like man. You just you know, I again like you know, I I, I can't help but <laughs> just I don't know, give it a shot or try or <laughs> even though like you know, I know you know I'm out of my league here, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 and oh yeah, and <laughs> and it's just and it and musically it's just it is is it really is just pure rock. It's, it's, it's such a great, um, great, straightforward, stripped down rock piece.
1: Yeah. And it would never hit, you know, I mean, it never no, was a no. single, I don't know if it's something that he ever does in concert, but it's, I just love it. I just think it's just, it's so, you know, they we say it's like, you know, to, to be universal, be specific. And to me, this is very, very specific yeah. of a guy that is just, he, he wants to go talk to the girl, but he's so afraid of, of of just being like like part of the crowd that that he'll just sit there and do never get off the bar stool and like hey man I've been there Billy so yeah. <laughs> you're speaking for me
2: <laughs> yeah this is one that I gravitated toward when I first got Glass Houses on CD because I you know I I knew the the hits right but um you know um I and I think I knew all for Lena because I'd heard that on the local class, classic rock station I used to listen to because mm-hmm. they would do some deep Billy Joel cuts every once in a while um, but the the title itself is like is is enough to draw you in and then you listen to the song and you're just like, Wow, this is just this is so good. Yeah. I love you know? it. Just love <laughs> so, it. All so right. uh I'm staying on Turnstiles. It's funny because we looked at we looked at our lists and I think with the exception of um, Glass Houses, none of the uh songs that we picked were um post Glass Houses. I think they were all from uh from the uh, 70s and the very early 80s. I have 80s. one
1: – my one honorable mention goes a little further. And then my yes. final song is a performance from later on. Though okay. The song itself
2: is, is old. OK. Yeah, yeah. So – because mine, mine go up to the – and it wasn't on purpose. I was just trying to weed out a lot of the different ones. So there's mm-hmm. nothing <laughs> – it's that Horatio Sands only '80s jewel clip is playing in my head right now. From <laughs> what the hell? That Will Ferrell movie that wasn't even that good. I think it was like Step Brothers or something. <laughs> but um, but there's that. It's a funny clip. Anyway, um, mine is still on Turnstiles. It's the last track on Turnstiles. Um, although I will tell you that it leads off "Songs in the Attic," which is my a favorite great record of his non-studio albums. Yeah. Um and uh, I prefer the versions off Songs of the Attic. It's Miami twenty seventeen. I've seen the lights go out on Broadway. Um which begins with this very nice piano and um and and the the version on Songs of the Attic was performed at the Garden, which you know, um and and uh he had said Songs in the Attic, by the way, has some of the best liner notes I've ever read in an album, and um, I'm so glad I have it on on a record because I can read them. But he, he talks about how um, how like the, the fact that they 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 use the version from from the garden because it requires that sort of you know that location. It's basically this weird, it's almost like science fictiony thing about like an apocalyptic vision of the destruction of New York City in 2017. And he's The far-off of, future of 2017. Yeah, I know. But, like, it's like, you know, um, there's no background to it. It's just, like, I was there. I saw everything get destroyed. And the i wrote about this a couple of years ago on the blog um he's got the line toward the end where he said you know before we all live down here in florida and before the mafia took over mexico and i'm like i don't know it got pretty close to that man <laughs> I, el chapo was still around was still running around um, back in 2017 <laughs> um but uh but yeah it's just it's this crazy it, it, it so it starts off with this really um Sweet piano thing, and it's like this almost like an elegy, of um of of slowness. But then he said we held a concert out in Brooklyn, and of course you hear the crowd go yeah yeah. And then because you know, and then he says to watch the island bridge blow, and he said we turned our power down. Bam, they drove us underground. Bam, we right off with the show, and then you hear like Liberty DeVito is like okay, it's time, and it just it goes into this like shuffle rock thing that's just like you know. Dun, 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 nah, nah, nah. And, it, and it's and it's just faster and faster, and then and then he ends it back where he started it, kind of like American Pie, you know, like he ends it. Uh, it's kind of the same structure. He ends it with a piano, and he's on his own, and then and then it's instead of a sing along at the end, he kind of fades out with the um, with the treacling piano. But it's 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 structurally it's great, and I just love it because it tells this story of like all hell breaking loose in New York City, and things are blowing up, and. The the kid in me when I first heard this at thirteen, who was reading Batman, you know, and and Crisis on Infinite Earths back issues <laughs> that I could hunt down, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> and then as I got older, and they I used to hear this on the radio on the as they used to play this uh, as one of those deep cuts, and I was like, where did this come from? And I finally found songs in the attic in a bargain bin. And I was like. I know some of these songs in the studio versions, and that's one of my favorite albums because it's just so damn good. And this is a great way to kick off that album. It's an
1: apocalyptic song, and yet it's like a yeah. rave up. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like a big rave up, and yet he's yeah. talking about the utter destruction of New York. You know, you're like, we're going to be fighting the mutants for gasoline. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of amazing, really. Warriors come out yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And I will say, just before we get off this, I, I think songs from the attic is one of the great album concepts of all time of an artist saying, I'm going to go back and play some songs that I really love from my back catalog that were not hits. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to make them the centerpiece of an album. I wish every major artist would do that. I really yeah. do. And, and it's, a, it's a great record. It's
2: a and great it record. worked because two of the songs on songs, of the attic ended up on the greatest hits. That's right. Um, those versions because "Say Goodbye to Hollywood" That's is right. taken off of this, and um, if you have the CD version of Greatest Hits, uh, she's got Away. way. Yep. yep. Uh, what's, but yeah. Yeah. It just has these great and and when I get to my honorable mentions, I, I have a mention of uh, of of the lighter notes and how he introduces one of the songs because it's just this great him Billy being Billy and just kind of rambling on about like you know being a <laughs> rock person um, he said you know for example Miami 2017 demands the gothic reverberation of a vast railroad terminus such as New York's Madison Square Garden and I'm just like <laughs> yeah, <man>. yeah. <laughs> It's great It's just so great Yeah I
1: love it Oh that's fantastic So um, Well my next song Is my uh, I don't mean to To be uh, Anticlimactic Because there's one song To come after this But this is my favorite Billy Joel song Of all time And it's Don't Ask Me Why Which is track three From Glass Houses Which was a single Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't really fit with the rest of Glass Houses because it's got this kind of flamenco sound to it. It's not a guitar song. And I really don't know what this song is about, and neither does Billy Joel. Uh, He's been asked about it, and he is kind of uncertain as to what it's about. I have a vague sense it seems to be about almost in a way of kind of very similar to – and again, I'm I'm not meaning to – bring this up because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a one-hit wonder, but it's, it's, it, to me it's got a little bit of a like a Rolling Stone where it's a, a singer, maybe a man, doesn't have to be, but it's a singer, nicely or maybe a little more aggressively chastising a woman, it doesn't, again, doesn't even necessarily have to be a woman, but chastising someone who thinks a lot of themselves, mm-hmm. and this person is sort of... You know, pointing out all the you – know, you think you're so great and you think you're so high and mighty, but all the things around you, and you open all the waiters in your grand cafe, leave their tables when you blink. Every dog must have his every day. Every drunk must have his drink. Don't wait for answers. Just take your chances. Don't ask me why. All your life you had to stand in line. Still, you're standing on your feet. All your choices made you change your mind. Now your calendar's complete. Don't wait for answers. Just take your chances. Don't ask me why. And I love his vocal. Like it just – I love the way he sings this song. this is to I sing along to this all the time. I love this song, and again, I can't point out why exactly, but it doesn't matter. I just love it, and it's just it's it's it, it seems sort of aggressive but also kind of gentle uh don't ask for favors, don't talk to strangers, don't ask me why, and like I said, he has said in interviews he's not even sure what it's about it's more of it's more impressionistic than anything mm-hmm. else, but boy i it's my favorite song. I, I if there was one Billy Joel song I'd say that this is the one I can't live without. It would be "Don't Ask Me Why." And
2: yeah, loved, "Don't Ask Me Why." <laughs> I you know, you know what? I you, you hit the nail on the head because I, I've loved this song since I was a kid. Um, partially, I think I started loving it because of the melody. It's a you beautiful know? song. Yeah, beautiful. it's beautifully written and just um, yeah, it's just uh, you, I can't tell you what it's about either. But it's I, I think I can't describe it better than you put it. To be honest with you and um it it's one of the songs that doesn't really matter what it's about
3: yeah yeah
2: you know like you're not really looking for meaning in the lyrics here it's just a really it's just a very cool song and it's and it's um and he and he does that with um uh, a couple of songs where that sort of melody or that sort of style shouldn't seem as cool as it does and mm-hmm. yet it totally works like just the way you are is kind of the same way now my wife will tell me that she hears just just the way you are, and she thinks she's at the dentist. But um, <laughs> but even I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit cheesy. But at the same time, like it 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 shouldn't work, and yet it does. And this is another one where it's this you know you're like it's a flamenco. It almost sounds like it's a track that was. Uh, not left off of Fifty Second Street, but it almost fits that album.
1: I yes, I totally can hear a that a little bit yes. more
2: than yes. than Glass Houses, but but it still works on Glass Houses.
1: And, it, and it's a nice it's a nice change up in the middle of the of a kind of a harder driving record, mm-hmm. especially side one because you've got you may be writing all for Lane, all for Lane, as you mentioned, is like dun 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 dun, you know this heavy yeah. thing. Right in the middle is this kind of more gentle Latin kind of beat. So yeah, I just I
2: love that song to pieces. Yeah. All right, so we're coming up on, on my last one, right. which is um, one of my top two of all time, and it switches places with the other one. Um, and I'll tell you with the other one uh, when we get to it, because <laughs> it's your your number one is, is the other one in this list, or, or the one that you're about to mention is my all other right, favorite right, song right. by him. Uh, but this is uh, off of The Stranger, and it's the longest song off the album. It's scenes from an Italian restaurant,
3: <laughs> um,
2: which is the... It is the... Long Island suburb story. Yep. It's these two kids. um, Brenda and Eddie. Brenda and Eddie, who, by the way, it wasn't until maybe about six months to nine months ago, I'm sitting there listening to a bunch of songs on my iPod. I had it on shuffle. I had probably listened to this. And then um, say La Vie, or You Never Can Tell, whatever you want to call it by Chuck Berry comes on. And I'm listening to that. And I start thinking about this. And I'm like, Billy you told me what happened to the kids in the Chuck Berry song. Cause it's the same damn story. Pierre and the Mademoiselle. And I'm like, Oh my God, he did Chuck Berry in the middle of this song. This, this ballad of Brenda and Eddie is these two kids in you know this teenage wedding. And, but it, it, but, but in this case, um, nobody's wishing them well. And it's not a happy occasion. Like everybody's like, this is never going to work. You two kids are crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Brenda, you it's know
1: you're much too lazy. lazy Eddie, Eddie yeah, can never afford yeah, never to live afford that, the that kind
2: of life. life. You know, the money got tight, and um, they just didn't the tears, and then they divorce. And then the, the framing device is them running into each other or grabbing a drink or something and catching up after all these years. And not necessarily getting back together, but it's just kind of like, you know, here we are. But, like, these two kids are, like half the people i went to high school with <laughs> you know like i there are people i went to high school with who are still married to one another i'm like how did you manage to do that my high me, school yeah, girlfriend me too. like me too. my high school romance crashed and burned after my first year of college um rightfully so but that's a whole other story <laughs> but but it's just like you know you, you're listening to these guys and it's this this fast-paced rock thing and it's a bitch to play in the piano because <laughs> um so the, the solo part is hard because it's all 30-second notes. Um, but when you get to the, the whoa, whoa, you know, that's easy on the right hand. But the left hand, the bass part, is an octave, 16th notes, and octave separated. So you're basically going... For four and a half minutes. And you're going up and down and up and down. And it never changes. You are just constantly going... And I don't – and like I said, the problem with me is that my piano teacher used to be like, keep your wrist loose, keep your wrist loose. And by the end of the song, I'd be like, this is painful. I have a cramp. <laughs> <laughs> But I love it and it's like seven minutes and they will pl- – they'll play it up on the radio up there. They will not cut it down. Because um, I'm sure that the station manager doesn't want the calls, and um, it's just it tells the story. And funny, I'm I'm looking at the sheet music right now, and it says nine twenty nine ninety three. But uh, but yeah, it's just it tells the story of these kids, and like I said, we know them. And he finally says, you know, and that's all I heard about them, and here we are waving them goodbye, and and, and life, kind of life goes on. Can't tell you more because
1: um, I told you already.
2: You're ready, yeah. And it's just, um, and somebody on Twitter a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago was talking about Sears and art being sold at Sears. Right, the painting wish...
1: that we bought it at Sears, yeah.
2: Yeah, and and, and it, wasn't in, it wasn't in reference to the song, it was just in reference to, I think Sears was closing it another, like. Hundred something stores or whatever, because Sears is in really really bad financial shape. And they were talking about how like you know for some reason like you could get like really really good art at Sears back in the day. And all this, I think I replied to that person. All of a sudden, that Billy Joel song makes sense. Like that that <laughs> lyric makes sense. They got a couple of paintings with Sears because my, I'd hear that and my wife and I are like Amanda and I are like Sears, you know, because we grew up in the eighties, you know, and you know Sears was like two steps down from Macy's, so. But um, but Sears aside, like I just I also like how um how it starts off with the bottle of white, bottle of red, you know, the the idea um he sets this scene of the two of them and then they have the rest the, the conversation where they catch up with each other and it's such a great set of lyrics because he's like, you know, I got a good job, got a good office, got a new wife, got a new life, the family's fine. You lost weight. I didn't know you could look so good After so much time Which is probably a sexist line But at the same time It's just like It's a conversation That two people Who haven't seen each other In a very long time Would have And he put it into music And it ramps up And then we get into the story And everything And 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 the, 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 one of my favorite lines From this song Is surely um, Surely Brenda and Eddie Would always know how to survive And it's just it, it encapsulates that whole thing And it's just It is This is so the suburbs to me I just can't This would be, you know... Now you could buy all these songs on albums and it would cost you 100 dollars but on Time Life's Sounds of the Suburbs <laughs> you can get all of them for just 19.95. Have a listen, you play this, you play Still Crazy After All These Years and you know Fire and Rain and the Carpenters like you know all these 70s hits. So it's just it's it's just so emblematic of a time and a place to me that that is it's great.
1: Yeah, it's a great story song. I mean uh, I mentioned earlier that I think that obviously there's a lot of influence of Paul McCartney specifically mm-hmm. Billy Joel. And this to me is Billy Joel at his most McCartney-esque because this song has like three different songs in it. I mean yeah. it, it, the first part is a s- distinctive song and then it turns into this other song and then it kind of goes back to the previous song. Um, it does remind me a little bit – there's a Paul Simon song called Train in the Distance, which is a mm-hmm. really beautiful tune about a guy, a man and a woman who get married and then they, they have a son and then they get a divorce and then they – they find themselves, uh, they find each other again at the end, and they talk about the, you know, she makes her laugh, he cooks a meal or two, uh, you know. So you're like, well, maybe these two are going to get back together, uh, and so that I feel like I hear a lot of Brenda and Eddie in that song. And and speaking of Brenda and Eddie, of course, uh, to get back to our roots, yours and mine, Tom, mm-hmm. uh, there's a comic book connection uh, to this huh. song, which of course Brenda and Eddie are characters in Amazing Man. The DC oh, Comics really? series. By Bob Rosakis? Yeah, by Bob Zakis and Stephen Stefano, The married high school couple from, the, from, the, from New York are Brenda and Eddie. Brenda and Eddie oh, Valentine. And so that's – I mean, Bob Zakis made no bones about that, that that's the influence of these, the names. They were high school sweethearts, and there they are in Amazing Man. So, you it. know, we're all going we connect things back to comics. There's not a lot of overlap between Billy Joel and comic books, but, yeah. but there you go. You got it. Oh, so, I love it. Yep. I love it. Yeah, it's, an, it's a really amazing, amazing song. So, uh, well, my final uh, pick of the five uh, that we're doing here is uh, we're going back to Songs from the Attic specifically, uh, although this song has appeared a couple different places. It's, it's Summer Highland Falls, mm-hmm. and it originally appeared on Turnstiles, although that's yes. not the version that I particularly care for, although I like it. The version on Scenes from Italian Restaurant uh, – excuse me. Songs from in the Attic. Songs in the Attic is beautiful. But that's not even the version I'm talking about. The version I'm talking about I found randomly in the 90s when when Billy Joel covered Bob Dylan's Make You Feel My Love. And they released, yes. it, they released it on a Cassingle. Remember those? I had
2: that Cassingle. Oh, my and I God. Have, I yeah. have this sheet music to uh, – to To make you feel my wow. love, all and, right. You know. I mean,
1: and I will admit, I bought it mostly for that because I was just sort of curious to hear Billy Joel. Because by that point, by '97, I was fully neck deep or eyes deep in the Dylan Alia. and so I, I was buying it just to hear an artist that I already liked cover an artist that I really liked. But on the B side of this single is I don't even know where it was recorded. I think it was at some music college, some music university, and it's Billy Joel talking to a bunch of students about his work. Mm-hmm. And he, they, 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 the, the version that I found online, which was uploaded as like a bootleg, like cuts the intro. But the intro, he talks about that he wanted to do kind of a yin and yang thing, and that was the idea. And then he, almost as an afterthought, he says, you know, I realize I never actually say Summer Highland Falls in the song. (laughs) And he said, I always thought that when Bob Dylan did Rainy Day Women, number 12 and 35, which is the Everybody Must Get Stone song, he never never mentions Rainy Day or Women or 12 or 35. And so that was part of the influence was he wanted to call it something that doesn't mention it. But the the, the solo piano version, it's just him, is breathtaking. I love how simple it is. And it's such a melancholy song. And if you want to... Uh, I do. I try to avoid this over on Pod Dylan because it doesn't really matter. But we know that Billy Joel's had a couple of marriages, and I feel like this mm-hmm. was at the end of his f- first marriage, I believe. And he's got that melancholy of we both know that this isn't working, and we we're It's not over yet, but we know it's going to end. And there's not much we can do. We've we've hurt each other a lot let's try and end this as gently as possible but we both know we're in a lot of pain and that's i think it's very very beautiful and the performance is is just extraordinary
0: times, but they're the only times I've ever known. And I believe there is a time for meditation in cathedrals of our own. Now I have seen that sad surrender in my lover's eyes. And I can only stand apart and sympathize. But we are always what our situations hand us. It's either sadness or euphoria. restaurant white
2: I he I guess he would refer to them as master classes of right, right,
3: right.
2: Yeah. Uh, for decades, um, and and so and I think on a box set that I don't own, but there was a box set that came out in the very late '90s or early 2000s of his three greatest hits albums plus a fourth fourth disc, which I think was just an entire one of those sessions. And um, way back in the day, uh, Yahoo had a streaming service that wasn't before Pandora and all that. This was like back in 2003, 2004. And I used to have a bunch of things in the shuffle rotation, um, that they would kind of pick for me based on interest. And he introduced the song and he talked about it being the end of a relationship. And he used the phrase, the bloom was off the rose. Mm. And I always think of that when I hear this, but I remember that version. And I wish I still had the single because I think the single went bye bye years ago. Um, funny enough. Cause my, my, if I had the single, my car still has a cassette player.
3: <laughs> so does mine,
2: yeah. yeah. So, but, but I know that, I know that version. So I might have to go see if I have that on the B side thing or, or seek it out if I can find it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it, this is, this, this and scenes are my two favorite songs yeah, by him. And it's the piano in this, that, that really, that really gets me. Um, because it's just so, it's so beautiful. And then, um, that those last lines, and like we, it's like it's vocabulary crazy, but it's like you know, yeah. how thoughtlessly we dissipate our energies, and perhaps we don't fulfill each other's fantasies. So we stand upon the ledges of our lives with our respective similarities. It's either sadness or euphoria, and that uncertainty of it. Makes it really beautiful.
1: Yeah, the, the uh, symp- I've always loved it. Yeah, the sympathy he has for the woman in question, mm-hmm. or the partner, it doesn't even really need to be a yeah. woman; it could be anybody. I mean, I've seen that sad surrender in my lover's eyes. I can only stand apart and sympathize, for we are always what our situations hand us. It's either sadness or euphoria. We'll argue and we'll compromise, and realize that nothing's ever changed. For all the mutual experience, our separate conclusions are the same. It's just a really beautifully sad song. I love beautiful sad songs and this mm-hmm. is to me one of the mo- most beautiful sad songs i've ever heard and i like the version on turnstiles i like the version on songs from the attic but there's something just about him by himself where it almost feels like a rumination it's just a mm-hmm. guy almost thinking out loud and i love that when he play, and i'll we'll have a little bit of the song in the in the show but when he the the the, the pause he puts where he stops and he, and he you know where our situations hand us it's either sadness or euphoria dun dun and there's he lets it hang. Yeah. Then he goes back. Like he's, you you're, you're sitting like, okay, where's he going to start this again? So I'm such a random thing that I just happened to own. That I bought mm-hmm. this kiss single in nineteen ninety seven and I never forgot i mean I long ago forgot about the cover of the Bob Dylan song because that's one of my least favorite Dylan songs, and I don't think Billy Joel <laughs> does anything particularly memorable with it it's, uh, but but it it's fine it's yeah just, it's fine. it's a big ballad um but I mean Didn't, but boy, it was worth it just to get this version of Summer Highland Falls. I love
2: it so yeah, much yeah um I, I just it yeah, I guess in fact, I think I remember oh my god i was i was probably trolling her so i had this girl from my actually she's still she and i are still friends my friend kathy and um we had gone out like literally for like two and a half weeks like two weeks or whatever in the the senior year It, it ended didn't end well and um it was one of those like it was just one of those things where we it just didn't end well, and it took us a long. It took us the better part of a year to like kind of get ourselves back to the where we were like really friends again. But we were wow. trying to be friends, and so it was just one of those. Without getting into the whole thing, but I remember signing her yearbook, and I remember writing at the very beginning of what I wrote. They say that these are not the best of times, that they're the only times. Uh. On <laughs> wow. I, I wasn't trying to troll her um, because. Uh, there was another song that, that I would have been trolling her with. But, yeah, she was – I think in, in mind, she wrote, hey, at least I didn't write song lyrics or something. I probably uh... – <laughs> How very high fidelity of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God, Rob. It's <laughs> – we could, you, me, and Bailey could talk that movie for like three hours. Oh
1: yeah, um, I already I did a film and water on it, but good lord, I could do another one. That that yeah. that, that's, that movie is so rich and deep. So, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, all right, uh, now we're now we're going to move on to our 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 honorable mentions. We yes. each have two honorable mentions yeah. because we couldn't we we just couldn't keep it to five. So we're going to do very quickly your two honorable mm-hmm. mentions. So what are your yeah. honorable mentions?
2: Um, both of these are off um, Cold Spring Harbor, but the versions that I love are off Glass Houses because, uh, not Glass Houses, uh, Songs in the Songs Attic. there in the because, Attic again,
1: there it is. Yeah,
2: so, um, and, and the funny thing is the first one is She's Got Away, um, a song that I just I've always loved I think it's a beautiful song um I remember I remember putting it on a mixtape that I gave Amanda when we first started dating and now we've been married for fifteen going on sixteen years hey, we've, been, good move. We've, been, we've been together since 1996 so we've been together for a long time um, she always loved the song in fact, in fact, it was the only song that I ever learned to play and sing along with, and I was terrible, but I played it for her and I sung it to her Aww. um years and years ago and and what's funny is you take this summer highland falls and in so it goes and you always have like the story of a relationship because and so it goes is is almost like third on this list of honorable mentions it's such a sad just um just just and So it goes just destroys you because he, it's the last track off of um stormfront where he's just like you know this acknowledgement that this relationship is over, but she's got a way. It's just it's this beautiful song. Um, when we got married, we put it. We we got married in two thousand three. Our wedding favors were um, we had we went to Krispy Kreme and we got two packs of donuts. So everybody got Krispy Kreme donuts and they got a CD, a mix CD because and this was on that in addition to a number of other folk <laughs> songs so you know, like our wedding song and our and stuff you know we had a good wedding song though we we danced to al green so very nice um, yeah the other one is the track that comes right after she's got away which is the complete opposite of she's got away it's called everybody loves you now i love that song and it is just a bitter pissed off breakup song and he's got – he in his liner notes for Songs of the Attic, he, he lists each song and he has like a comment on each of them. And here's the one for Everybody Loves You Now. 1970, macho rationale for being rejected. Her, leave me, she must be a self-possessed bitch. Anyway, everybody didn't really love her. I just thought they did. Because he's so sarcastic. He's like, well, everybody loves you now. You know, like, oh, you're – yeah, baby, all the lights are on the stage, like, you know, everything and revolves just... in what you do. <laughs> and it ends with This is what you want It you proud. Everybody loves you now. And you're like, <laughs> God, he's so pissed. He's
1: I've an angry at man at that
2: point. Oh, he's so angry. Yeah, I just I love <laughs> it. I love it because it's just so like, you know, and, and it's it's guitar and 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 piano together. And they're just they're just the. They're just hitting it and hitting just getting matter and matter and matter and it's just catharsis and it's so it's just so good.
1: And you hear how the crowd is really into it. Like yeah. really, yeah. It's a good I love that performance. That yeah, that's the one I listen to. I don't listen to the other one off the album. No, I listen to no, the one I... off Songs from the Attic. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's well, those are both fantastic picks. So my honorable mentions will go very quick. First of all is Rosalinda's Eyes from love 50, that song. 50, Fifty Second Treat. And I will admit, I straight up will admit, this took me uh, someone else's interpretation, not interpretation, this took me someone else's view of it for me to appreciate it because this was a song that I just, I, off of 52nd Street, it just never did anything for me. I just heard it, I was like, okay, it's fine. And then it was used in an episode of Freaks and Geeks yes. where the boys meet, uh, there's a new girl that comes into to the school. She's a, mm-hmm. you know, she's a, she's a, she moved with her family and she is this l- winsome, beautiful, sweet girl. And she's clearly destined to become one of the popular kids, but she doesn't know that yet. So she's hanging out with the nerds and the nerds know that they have a shot clock with this girl. They, yeah. and they're not even trying to date her. They really just, they're just in love with the, the, the reflected beauty of how just oh, wonderful yeah. she is and she's so sweet to them and she's into all their nerd stuff they go and they they launch a rocket in the, yeah. in the in the parking lot and she's just as into it as they are and it's just and they just can't believe their their good fortune that this girl likes them so much and uh you know uh, that's it's it's they decide in the in the show to use that song uh over a montage and i it, it was weird i felt like i'd never heard the song before you know, mm-hmm. like, Whoa, oh, my God, this is – and all of a sudden it really clicked for me. And it's sort of funny because this is sort of a a, a quieter version of Piano Man in a mm-hmm. lot of ways and lyrically because it's about a guy who – he says, I play nights in the Spanish part of town. i got music in my hands. The work is hard to find, but that don't get me down. Rosa Linda understands. So it's like this is a guy who is definitely not Billy Joel. It's a guy who's a kind of a hardworking nebbish who plays kind of cheesy – um, you know, ma- uh, wedding music and, and yeah. uh, stuff like that, and he's never going to make it. He knows he's never going to make it, but he doesn't care because he has Rosalinda, and that's that's good enough for him. And it's yeah. it's a really really beautiful yeah. little song.
2: Yeah, all all alone in a Puerto Rican band, union, union wages, wages weddings wedding clothes. clothes, hardly, hardly anyone. anyone. Right. see how good I am. Rosalinda says she knows. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, it's
1: beautiful. And it's, it's a guy that sees himself in Rosalinda's eyes. It's really yeah. beautiful. I just yeah. love it. And I, again, thank you, freaks and geeks, you know, for, for it, using it because it's just oh, like, whoa, oh my God, that, perfect.
2: That's my, oh God, that show is so near and dear to my heart. Oh, yeah. And um, I, yeah, I, I was one of the people who watched it when it first ran and was so, it's, it's one of my like holy trinity of teenage shows with the original Degrassi in my so-called life. It's just <laughs> this, it's this, and I will always rewatch. I rewatch I, every few years. I'll throw a few episodes on. I, I, I actually used the pilot and, um, Looks and Books, which is the episode where Sam gets the stupid night suit and walks around oh, school. Every episode in, of the show, in, in AP Lit this year, uh, toward the end of the year, we were talking about um, coming of age stories and stuff. So I brought in those two episodes, and a couple of uh, my students came back to like, I watched the whole series this weekend. It's so cool, um, no, and I love that episode. It's so, and it's it's so like bittersweet too, yeah. because you're right. Yeah. They know the whole time that like. And it's not in a creepy way. They're not being creepy about it. No, it's they're, like not, they're they, not
1: trying to put the moves on her or anything. Yeah, like that. They're, right, they're,
2: yeah, they and they don't. They're not feeling possessive of her in that way. It's just that like they know they have this limited time with her before she kind of gets absorbed into the into the system that is the high school social order. And um, we see
1: it happen. We see her yeah. get invited to sit with the cool girls, yeah. and she she kind of awkwardly yeah. is like, "Oh, I'll go sit with the." And you just know that she might as well be on the moon at that point, as for as much as yeah. you're, you're going to see her. So and
2: and it wonderfully contrasts with the episode where Bill ends up making out with the cheerleader in the closet. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's Bob we, we could do a whole yeah. show on oh, just – we could just do Freaks and Geeks cast, you know? Yeah. I mean, for God's yeah. sakes. If that if that show doesn't already exist, it might for all I know. Yeah. Uh, so my, my other and my final honorary pick is um, – and finally we're getting into an album into the 80s – Keeping the Faith from Innocent Man. And this winds back to my comment at the beginning of the show where it's like when I was a teenager – you know, one of the reasons I like Billy Joel so much is that it, it he had a kind of a lot of teenage energy, mm-hmm. and it, it you related to that, and here was like a, a guy that made it, and he was, you know, this big deal, and yet he had a lot of similar sentiments that as a teenager you could relate to, and so this song – is a total throwback to uh, a time of music before the Beatles. It's doo wop. I mean, of course, that whole album is that "A Longest Time" yeah. and the Uptown Girl. It's a salute to, Fre- you know, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. All this kind of music that Billy Joel mm-hmm. grew up up before the Beatles came and just ripped up the culture and and left it, uh, <laughs> you know, left it in shreds. But uh, I will, I maybe is not the most mature thing in the world, but I'll I'll own up to it because we're here and it's late. But it's there's a line in the song. Uh, where he says, uh, he says, I learn and it's about a guy, you know, learning how to, to kind of grow up, learn stick balls, mm. of formal education. And he goes on, he says, uh, I found out a man, he'd just be in macho, ate an awful late night driving food, drank a lot of take home pay. I thought I was the Duke of Earl when I made it with a redhead girl in the Chevrolet. Oh, well, I love that
2: line. The,
1: yeah, I did that. So <laughs> you know, I was like, I heard that. And and G Rob, I
2: just went to a Tasty Freeze and had a chili dog, <laughs> so I could I, do that song.
1: I I heard this song long before that event happened, and then <laughs> after the song never quite was the same after I after that event took place. And you know, it's about a guy. You checked make, it off of the scavenger. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but it just ended. we worked up that way, and so oh,
2: that's funny. This, this, that's really you know, it's, funny. It's
1: about a guy that's just sort of, you know, he's talking about that he's, he's more than just being macho, but yet he's sort of using this. This instance is kind of like, well, yeah, I felt really good about myself when I made it with the redhead girl in the Chevrolet. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, I felt pretty good about myself at that time, so okay. And so that's really what it is. I can't help, but then when I get to that line in the song, I just, I guess, okay, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Bill. Yeah. Um, so that's my other honorable mention of is, is keeping the faith. Yeah. And there's, and it's, there's a fun video for that song too, by the way. They yeah, because
2: the redhead girl in the video is his wife again, Christy Brinkley. This, right. Yeah, so he becomes the guy from the neighborhood who made it, and then he marries Christy Brinkley. Unreal.
1: Real. Unreal. So um, so the, yeah, so, those are our those are our, our yeah. big songs. And we need to wrap up here, but there is a couple other things I wanted to mention. I wanted to ask you uh, mm-hmm. what your favorite overall album is, but I'm betting it's Songs from the Attic.
2: Overall it's Songs from the Attic studio album, it's The Stranger okay. with fifty second street and glass houses running close behind. So that whole period from the string stream- yeah. and turnstiles, it's like from turnstiles all the way to like Songs of the Attic, that's like my sweet spot.
1: I think and I'd probably, the my favorite. Right. I think I would have to go with Glass House just because it Don't mm-hmm. Ask Me Why. Yeah. And it has Sleeping with the Television On and it just has so many songs that are, are were just right. fun to you may be right and all for Lane. It just has so many really great uh, still rock and yeah. Me, so we, good. we had a ton of hits on it. So, um, yeah. one last thing that I wanted to mention, and before I'll, I'll let you too, if you have something yeah. else, but I,
2: I other, have a couple. Of, I have a couple of like quick lightning round questions. Cool. as Cool. Well. All
1: right, excellent. Well, the one last thing I want to mention <sighs> specifically is we talked about you know again it's easy to make fun of Billy Joel, kind of like a hit machine and whatever, mm-hmm. but he has his moments. He has his moments, and the one moment I really wanted to mention. Where he really was still that angry young man, was in the 1993 Grammy Awards. And he was up for several Grammys for River of Dreams. Now, earlier in the show, they had given a Lifetime Achievement Award or something to Frank Sinatra. And Sinatra was there. And Sinatra, being an older man by this point, I from what I remember kind of gave this rambling speech and it was kind of a little over the place. And he was literally played off to go to a commercial. And I then, remember this. And that did not sit well with the crowd because it's like, Good lord, it's Frank Sinatra. Yeah, it's not Bono. Yeah, you can't you can't give this guy an extra minute. To, it's it's you know I mean how many living legends do we have and then, so we, I remember the show came back from commercial and there that whoever was the host made a joke about it and it was you could feel the tension because people were just pissed at whoever made this decision so later on in the show Billy Joel gets to perform River of Dreams which was the song he was up it was the title song and mm-hmm. he was up for a Grammy and the way that that song is constructed at the end of each uh, verse. It ends with the phrase river of dreams and then there's a long pause in the song and then he'll start saying in the middle of the in – the, in the middle of the night. Uh, and it – so – and, and the way the song is constructed with each verse, that pause gets a little longer. Yeah. So he says like – so I can finally find out what I've been looking for. Pause. Pause. In the middle of the night. Yeah. something Something I would never lose. Something somebody stole uh, until I find what I've been looking for pause pause in the middle of the night so on the live version when he gets to i forget what verse i think you can even find it on youtube i should have looked it up before this but when he gets to that pause at one point in the song he lets it stretch for like a full 30 to 45 seconds not only that he starts looking at his watch and he's going and he goes valuable advertising time going by Viable advertising I time going this. by. Dollars, <laughs> dollars, 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 dollars. And the crowd went ape shit. Because it was he captured the moment, the, the pissed feeling everybody had. And I was like, okay, yeah, Billy Joel's a multimillionaire and he's he's long since passed his angry young man face. But here he's kind of being a punk. He's being mm-hmm. a punk, and that's what I loved about it, that he was sticking it in the eye of the Grammy producers and commenting on that moment of just – I never forgot. I only saw it one time, but I never forgot him just going, dollars, dollars, dollars. I was like, good <laughs> for you, Billy. So that is like so one of good. my favorite Billy Joel moments of all time.
2: Yeah. Um. Actually, River of Dreams is – That's a beautiful I... song too on top of it. Just a good, yeah. great pop song. And I think that album is – one of his most underrated, um, cause it's like the last album. It it's came the last at the, one. Yeah. Yeah. It came at a time when, um, and there's some really, really good stuff on that. No Man's Land is is such a great, just it's almost like a protest song, and it's still applicable today because it's basically about like you know, this is everything you tore up to create the suburbs. And I keep coming back to that. But uh, in your opinion, your what you what do you think is the most underrated of of the albums? I know there a lot of them are like big, but you know, or is there, or, or an underrated song or something that like you think doesn't get as much attention as it as it should. Let's I go think, with albums.
1: I know. I think the Nylon Curtain is mm-hmm. really good and very unusual. It's very dark. Um, I, I mean, Allentown is that song everybody's says, is like, Oh, that's not that the Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> no, it's a Billy Joel song. Um, My Billy hates that song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I, when I was in music class in high school, uh, our teacher had us all bring in a record to play and we played a selection from it. And I brought in the nylon curtain. That was the record that I brought in. Right. And, uh, I, I, I think that's, it, it had a couple of hits. I mean, again, Allentown was a huge hit, and Pressure, Pressure was a huge hit. Uh,
2: Good Night Saigon. Good Night Sa- well.
1: Saigon was very big, but I, I think that's kind of a really underrated record, and it's falling where it does in between um, Glass Houses, which is a very pop rock Rolling Stone, and mm. then Innocent Man, which is you know total pop. Um, yeah. it's, it's kind of it's kind of a weird marker to kind of this much darker album in the middle of two lighter things. So I think that one probably doesn't get enough enough attention in, in in the grand scheme of his catalog.
2: Yeah, I agree. And actually, I, I have to go back and listen to the whole album all the way through because I have not listened to it all the way through um, as much as the others. And funny enough, it, this other album came out the same exact year as Nylon Curtain, but I always think of this is like his Nebraska. Like, mm. you know, he's going for a much more serious tone. And Nebraska itself is, is sandwiched between the river and Born in the USA, which are right. both big rock pop music. Um, more than the USA more than the river, because the river has those songs on it that you could see where Nebraska came from with Springsteen. Um and like I said, I always come back to like Bruce and stuff because it's those are my they're my top two favorite of all time. So but with Billy Joel, it's like, you know, yeah, you're right. You've got these two rock and pop albums and you have this very serious almost like I'm stretching myself as a songwriter. I'm kind of trying to be John Lennon in some cases on this album, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean there is a very heavy John Lennon influence. I think he said I,
1: that himself. I think he even yeah. talked about that.
2: Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Um, let's see. Post Glass Houses, your favorite album?
1: Uh, I really do. I really do love the bridge. Uh, I think the bridge is a real. It's it's there's a lot of really great songs. I love Glenn getting closer on that song about mm-hmm. I mean he's had a lot of money problems over the years and that song is straight up about that about the you know uh paybacks are a bitch and stuff like that I like Matter of Trust that's just a really fun big pop yeah. rock song I like Running on Ice a lot uh I think that I mean there's yeah. some there's some middle of the road stuff on there the, 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 you know this is the time is a is like every you know, it's a
2: prom song. Prom
1: song, yeah, that kind of thing. But I, I have a lot of good memories of listening to the record on um, ca- on cassette while I did my mm-hmm. paper route in 1985. <laughs> so I have a lot of fond memories for, for that. I mean, I I will say that like one of the reasons that just to is like Stormfront. That's one of those things that, like, unfortunately, that song, We Didn't Start the Fire, is such a joke of a song. And I think that it has colored people's view of Billy Joel because that song is so, it's atrocious, but atrocious in an earworm kind of way that you almost hate it because it's so earwormy. You're like, God damn it, this song's terrible, but I can't stop singing along to it. I hate it for
2: that reason. So it's two things to that. A, like, For some reason, I just love that song. Unironically, (laughs) B. I'm actually going to do an episode on it later in the year. Oh boy! I'm basically going to do everybody's sixth or seventh grade history homework for them. Okay, fair enough. And C. It is there are two other songs. So um, there are two other songs that are very much like it. One of them one of them came before it, which is "It's the End of the World as We Know It." And I feel fine. And the other one is one of the only two Matchbox Twenty songs I like, and it's uh, "Let's See How Far We've Come." okay and um if you uh and i don't know why i did this one day i'm listening to that song on the radio and the bridge comes up and rob thomas is doing the whole bridge part but if you if you if you do it you can sing an entire verse of we didn't start the fire in the bridge of let's see how far we come (laughs) and it's totally like and it's not them listing things but it's totally like that um the other song i really like of theirs is called um bright lights it's very Elton john so um and it's like, and I had a roommate in college who my last year who loved their first album, and I that's why I don't really listen to that and that, and then fucking Santana song with Rob But uh, but yeah, so I like so so wait for a pop culture affidavit episode about that probably like September October. Oh boy, I, oh boy, I, I love like half of Stormfront.
1: Down Easter Alexa, I love Down Easter Alexa. Yeah, yeah. I
2: go to extremes. Um Leningrad is a beautiful song, and So It Goes is on there. The rest of the album, I don't like Shameless. Um, I didn't even like the Ger- Garth Brooks version of Shameless um, The rest of the album is kind of like I can take it or leave it I'm kind of with you, my favorite album Because I can listen to it all the way through And really, really love it um, Post-Glass Houses is, is, is The Bridge um, But I do love stuff off Stormfront And I do love even some of the album cuts off Of River of Dreams but, And The Bridge is like his most 80s album uh, Yes, absolutely it's, it's like, I heard Modern Woman While I was doing The Dishes tonight Because I had, like I was listening to some music before we got started and um, it's so 80s, yet I love the chorus because it's just got such this great hook to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to plan And then he's like, in the morning, she leaves you the paper, and her, your paper and the coffee, your coffee. And it's a strange situation for an old-fashioned guy. And I'm like, I like my paper and my coffee in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I just love, no, it's it's, it's some great stuff. Um, I think that's my, I think that's it, um, my, my lightning round. All right, fair um, enough. Yeah, yeah My. My least favorite song of Billy Joel's is Uptown Girl. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I, and this man just has not aged very well for me. There's a few tracks off of it that I really like. It's Keeping the Faith being my favorite one off of that entire album. But um, for the most part, um, I have to be like in a really good mood to listen to um, most of the album. And I just n- I'm not a huge fan of Uptown Girl, except for that episode of The Simpsons. For Homer, but just have you seen that episode? Yes, I have. yeah, we're gonna freak them out,
1: toad Girl. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Billy Joel had to allow that. I don't know. I mean, they they don't use the actual song; they just sing the yeah. the word. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I we as we're wrapping up here, I'm gonna think about yeah, like yeah. his his legacy. Uh, you know, I mean, he obviously has a long shadow, in that he's still selling out at the, these arenas after not having produced a brand new song in in 25 years. For Pete's sake,s I mean, even again, I don't mean to keep bringing it back to this, but no. like I, I, you know, I, I've, I've talked about in episodes of Pod Dylan where he where Bob is doing the never ending tour and he started seeing new people showing up to his shows and he decided, well, these people deserve new songs. So I'm going to start writing new songs. And I guess Billy Joel doesn't feel that way. He feels like, no, the legacy is secure. I don't need to, to do anymore. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm enough of a fan that if he decided to release a new record, I would buy it mm. sight unseen. Like I'd be like, okay. Yeah. yeah, give you've given me enough. I don't need to hear one note of this new record. I'll give it. I'll you've got my ten dollars on. Well, not iTunes anymore, but whatever the equivalent will be of that. Yeah. Um But I, you know, he. I don't know. He must have. I, I mean, I always wonder. Does he have songs that he's recorded that he just doesn't? He just puts them away, and 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 you know, or or does he literally? not writing songs and not recording things it, it seems kind of amazing to do it so well for so long and then to consciously just turn off the tap like that and say no i'm done i'm never gonna do another one it seems unlikely but i, I don't know
2: yeah i think but i think he might have stuff but like he might also have he's always somebody who's known like he's always stretched himself but he's known his limitations on things and maybe he just has this feeling of like you know Like it's almost like like he didn't completely quit Because he still tours and he still does music But it's almost like you know He almost like knew when to quit Like Mm. you know um, He always talked He talked about an interview back when River Dreams came out um, And there was some like Making of documentary about it or something I saw it on like PBS or something And he did talk about And then in in the Behind the Music episode If I'm remembering this correctly Because it's been about 20 years since I've seen that I think he talked about the fact that one of the reasons he even recorded River of Dreams is because his ex-brother-in-law stole all his money. So it was almost like he had to – he was trying to – yeah. So like he didn't leave him completely broke, but like he he took a ton of money from him. So it was like touring another album. Like this was recouping some of that. So it was almost made under duress. And, you know, he did really, really well with it. But at the same time, it's like, you know – you got to cool it off before you burn it out. You know, it's just like he, he, he kind of knew where he was like, you know what? I can stop here for now. And if I have something else to say, um, I'll do it. But I, I, you know, I'm not going to make any promises. In fact, it's, it's literally the last song on the album. Famous mm-hmm. last words. He says the last words I have to say, and I don't know if he was doing that on purpose or not, but it, it ended up being that way. He said, um, there might be other words some other day, but that's the story of my life. And it's just like, okay, maybe you will one day come out with some stuff. You've got something to say, but for right now you're like, you know, I'm good. I mean, uh, granted he might have like a bunch of stuff, you know, I Mm -hmm. I mean, not on the level of say like Prince, um, right. 500 uh, songs stockpiled somewhere. Yeah. Or, or, you know, be able to produce like, whatever cave Tupac's been hiding in since yeah. the night, but, <laughs> right. but, but I mean, I think he, he still might have, like, he still might have a, a, a catalog of stuff, but then again, he's also talked about in interviews about like the thing, the other ventures he's done. And, you know, I don't know for all, for all we know, something within the next decade or so will come out and he'll release something. I mean, he's 70 now. Um, you know, and, and, uh, but at the same time, he just seems to be having fun just doing this sort of retirement thing, you know, like the semi retirement. I'm gonna come out and I'm gonna, I got famous friends who will, like, McCartney's gonna come on stage with me and play, like, Imagine you know, that. I mean, like, how cool is this? And, and yet he's never really lost that kind of sense of wonder about that like you know he's very you could tell he's very professional about these things but he's never lost this sort of sense of like oh my god i'm on stage with a beetle Mm -hmm. yeah 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 absolutely at least that's his public persona i don't know him privately that would be really cool if i did but i've (laughs) never met him privately so for all i know you know i don't know if but from from what i've heard he's just a very genuine person and i can appreciate that so if he's like you know what i really don't have anything to say and i'm just gonna kind of do my thing like i can respect that in a lot of ways
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's if if he feels compelled to do it, that would be great. But if not, that's fine, too. And I can only imagine what it must feel like to give that much joy to the many thousands of people and play these songs and have a good time and and uh, you know it's got to be an amazingly rewarding thing. So uh, yeah. good on you, Billy. We love you. Uh, I'm I, Tom. I am so glad we finally got a chance to oh, do yeah, this. this is great. Uh, this. I mean, we. I could have. We limited ourselves to five and then some change. <laughs> but I mean, I could have done clear, like ten more songs each. This would not have been hard. Oh, uh, you yeah, could have
2: gone like album by album. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I
1: could have. Yeah, the Pod Joel or whatever I wanted to call it. So, um, so anyway, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad we we got around to it. I'm glad that I'm very happy that Ryan. Not that it would have stopped me, but but the fact that Ryan created the Fire and Water Records, is like oh, it's perfect. This is the perfect thing for yeah. this show. So this is great. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? <laughs>
2: I have three podcasts over on the Two True Freaks Network. Um, One of them is in-country. I'm taking an issue-by-issue look at the Nam. As of this recording, um, I have about eight episodes and a wake-up left because I'm heading toward episode 100, and I should have one out in a week or two. I also have required reading with Tom and Stella, and that's where uh, myself and Stella, who does the Batgirl, the Oracle podcast, take a look at a work of literature, and we just talk about it, review it, And decide whether or not it's actually worth reading Um, You can find that at TTF you could also find it at Required Reading with Tom and Stella dot com. And then my main show is called Pop Culture Affidavit. It's the sworn testimony of a dork. It's mm-hmm. me doing random topics in popular culture, everything from um, well most recently commercials to music to movies, television, comic books. I've done mini-series within it on syndicated television. I've done uh, my comic book Origin Story. I have covered Almost all the John Hughes, movies – no, it's a few of the John Hughes movies I've covered, you know, just about anything. I'm closing out on episode 100 with that, and I know exactly what I'm doing for it, but I'm kind of keeping it a secret. So <laughs> um, you can find that at popcultureaffidavit.com because it's also a blog where I put essays on other topics pop culture-wise that aren't kind of like big enough for an episode. So that's it.
1: Amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, you're, you're, and I appreciate in your most recent episode playing the alternate Mount Airy Lodge That's song. That's the one I from, grew up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I might even use that for Mountain Comics one day. So uh, anyway, of course, uh, you can find more episodes of the Fire and Water Record Show and all our other shows over on our network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And if you like Billy Joel like Tom and I do, and I assume you do because you've listened to all two hours of this at this point, I can't imagine you would sit through this uh, if you didn't like Billy Joel. Um, leave us a comment over on the website and let us know what you think. What's your favorite Billy Joel song? Have you seen them live? Let us know. I would love to share some of that and go back and forth because it's it's like Billy Joel fans are like some weird like we're like afraid to like out ourselves or something and then finally (laughs) on, on Twitter I was like oh F it. You know I love these Billy Joel songs and I'm so glad Tom piped up and now we're here doing this because this was just a total blast so yeah it was really fun thank you so thank you billy joel thank you so much for all the great music i'm gonna go back and listen to a bunch of songs as soon as i'm done here uh and uh, that's gonna do it so thanks everybody for listening and uh, we will see you later bye
0: told that you can get what you want or you can just get old, you're gonna kick off before you even get halfway through, ooh, when will you realize Vienna waits for you?